And you are very welcome along to this week's RT Rugby Podcast Ireland 35 17 winners against Fiji at the weekend and rounding into their final in international of the year, taking on Australia this weekend. First time the sides will have met in four years since Ireland's tour of Australia back in 2018. And as usual, Bernard Jackman is with us here on the RT Rugby Podcast and also delighted to welcome on Christy Doran, Chief Rugby Writer for the roar uh, onto this podcast to kind of give us the lowdown on how Australia are going so far this season. Christy, thanks a million for joining us. I hope you're you're well settled in in Dublin now over the last couple of days. I can tell you there's a few envious Australian souls just thinking about the Guinness that have consumed the last few evenings, but it's been great and uh, spectacular weather this time of year. Any time of year you get some sun, blue skies, you're always surprised to, to think of that as an Aussie coming up here. And you're being you're being kept busy as well. I believe you were chatting to Andy Friend a couple of days. I don't know. Was it you that sparked his his resignation announcement? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I think he was actually rather relieved for it to get out there because you and I and Bernard would know these sorts of things. They don't just happen overnight, do they? <laughs> yeah, no. Kind of, it had been in, kind of in the pipeline for a little while, is what we were expecting. But um, look, we brought you on obviously to talk about Australia. You might fill us in because off the face of it, defeat against Italy at the weekend, first time they were ever beaten by by Italy it's eight defeats in 12 down to world number nine in the rankings like just what's going on with Australia at the moment is it it's probably a very broad question I think to, to start things off but as best you can describe what is going on at the moment you'll yeah, pick your own adventure you're right it is where to start and if you said eight from 12 but they actually lost the previous three matches uh to to round out last year in November so it's it's eleven from what fifteen uh, eleven from yeah fifteen there it's a horrible record and Dave Rennie was a man that many people thought was a very competent coach when he arrived down under in twenty twenty uh, you know he, people still remembered the the rapid transformation that unfolded with with the Chiefs in twenty twelve when he took over from Ian Foster and of course he led it the Chiefs to a maiden Super Rugby title and they backed it up the year before. I think Australians thought that they were going to expect to see something very similar, a side that had perhaps struggled with consistency, but there was still enough talent within the, the playing group. But what we've seen over the last couple of years, you know, COVID didn't help, but it didn't help anyone, did it? And it really stored some of the progression from younger players. But I think selection has been a massive concern for Australian rugby and the Wallabies, not just this year, but last year too, but certainly this year and, Right throughout the rugby championship, there was you're scratching your head over a number of selections, and even now, you know, less than a year out from a World Cup, only seven matches out from a World Cup, there was a uh, a rotation policy for halfbacks, and I, I don't quite understand how you can, you can't work out who your preferred nine is. And we saw twelve changes against Italy on the weekend, and it really came back to bite Dave Rennie in the backside because I don't know a, a single tier one side other than perhaps the All Blacks that can ever really roll that out and put out and deliver a, a clinical performance. And we've seen the Wallabies stumble their way through the last matter of months and, and cohesion, the lack of continuity is there for everyone to see at the moment. So look, selection is the big one for me at the moment. There's enough talent and I actually think the Wallabies will come out and surprise Ireland. I think they can beat them. I predicted that Italy would beat the Wallabies. I thought they'd taken one eye off the Italians and, and already gone a step too far. But I think they'll they'll respond. And the Wallabies have this uncanny ability to 
win the games that they that they probably shouldn't and lose the games that they should win. So we'll see over the, over the next few days. Yeah, and Birch, that's as Christy finished up there, winning the games that or losing the games they should win, and maybe not winning the games they should win, but coming close to them anyway. And if you look at across a lot of those fixtures, the game against France a couple of weeks ago. Uh, would have been big favourites against Scotland, stumbled over the line, then pick, picked off a win against South Africa, beat England as well. They're, they're just a very, very hard team to get a read on at the moment, I think is probably the best way of putting it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm interested. I, I think David Rennie is a, is a very good coach uh, and any players or, or coaches that I've met have worked with him would speak very highly of him. Scott Weismantle is, you know, world-renowned and world-respected. Uh, Laurie Fisher's back involved, uh, I, I believe. Pedro Stuplessis. So it seems... It seems as if they have a very good coaching staff, but um, uh, I suppose the question I would have for Christie is: is the talent there? Um, is the talent there insufficient depth? Um, like I mean, you, you would have to imagine there was a plan for him to make so many changes against Italy, in that he wanted to see what some of those players could do, and obviously, you hope you don't get the um the negative bounce of of obviously losing. But I, I mean, how much pressure is he under? Um, do you believe that the talent is is in this group? Uh, obviously, if, if you obviously feel they're talented, if they can, if you think they're going to beat Ireland, but you know, is it is it is the pool quite shallow, or um, you know, has he got the best players on the plane coming over here, and it's just a case of him trying to to work out what his best combinations are? Well, you, you look, is there enough talent in this in this side? We'll, we'll see. Is there enough talent in Australia? There certainly is. You look at the guys that are missing at the moment, you, they roll off the tongue from Quade Cooper to Samu Karevi to Angus Bell to Isaac Rodder. Um, you know, there's there's quality from 1 to 15. That is actually missing, unfortunately. But there's certainly enough talent. And that's why I think you know, he, he Dave Rennie was rattled after that game. And Rugby Australia was certainly rattled too. There is pressure on him. They've got to win at one one of these two matches, I would say, um, for him potentially to survive. Um, you know, it was only a mere four months ago that that uh, Hamish McLennan, the Rugby Australia chairman, backed Dave Rennie through to the World Cup. I, I think that could change if there's a, a really poor performance against Ireland. Uh, and we can't forget, and whilst Australia will be missing Will Skelton and Bernard Foley against the Welsh a week later, the Welsh clearly will be missing a few as well, given that the, the match falls outside the international window. So um, there is pressure, and, and quite rightly so, given everything we've seen. Discipline's been a huge one for, for Australia. We'll get to that probably a bit later. But um, I, I, I agree, and from what I'm hearing from the players, they also think that the coaching structure there at the Wallabies is is is, is first class. The, the level of coaching is outstanding, but... but you know, there's a difference between um, um, you know delivering emphatic performances and and you know delivering some things on the on the training field. We we understand that the Dave Rennie game plan is a really ta- um, complex one. That that um, and and someone like a Quade Cooper was was delivering it. He's got such a huge intellect, and Quade's only played. Less than one match this year. He took the Wallabies to five straight games last year, and and without Quade Cooper this year, there's not been a real, there's not been a Johnny Sexton inside. And whilst that's provided opportunities for guys like Noel Olseo, more recently Bernard Foley, um, James O'Connor had a crack, and and I would say got speared by Dave Rennie. Um, the handling around the ten situation and the nine is perhaps the most surprising of the lot because we saw him develop Aaron Cruden at the Chiefs. 
right back in the day. So there are significant issues when it comes to selection, which I think is unfortunately it's 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 having a detrimental impact on on discipline um, because players don't necessarily know where they are, what ruck they should be hitting. Um, the attacking clean-out has been an absolute mess for a long, long time. Interesting, just in your opinion, our uh, uh, insight into what's it like above Dave Rennie. I remember I remember during the Czech era, um, it seemed to be a little bit of disarray and, and a poor relationship with the board um, and maybe a lack of consistency or cohesion there. Financial issues, um, apparently as well, are reported. I mean, is the board in a position to, to make a drastic decision um, like you know, maybe relieving Dave Rennie of his duties, or um, what's the outlook for, for from Australia from a a financial point of view? You know, over the next couple of years as well. Yeah, good question, and they play a role with what's going on at the moment. I think for two reasons, it's unlikely that Dave Rennie will go. Um, one, they'd have to pay him out for an extra year, but two, the, there's no apparent um replacement coach, and and that's always a big one, isn't it? Um, we saw when. Um, you know, in 2018, when Rassi Erasmus came in, he was clearly a, an outstanding coach that had had runs on the board. Um, I don't necessarily think that we see that at the moment. Dan McKellar is someone that's been spoken about as the assistant at the moment, but this is really, he's coming to the end of his second year as an international assistant coach after running a Brumbies, Brumbies program for five years. He's he's perhaps the most likely, if anything, was to occur, but... Um, they, they, you know, the, the financial position of Rugby Australia has improved drastically over the last 24 months, really. They were close to going under in the you know, second quarter of, of 2020, but there's been some huge steps taken since. The sponsorships have come back on. Um, they really streamlined the administration and the, and the entire Rugby Australia from more than 200 people working there down to 50. Um, massive steps were taken so that that... It didn't go insolvent, and um, yeah, they 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 wouldn't. They were, their least preference, of course, would be to 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 make a move on Dave Rennie. But there is complete and utter frustration at what's going on over the last few months because you know, losing to Eddie Jones's England after being one 0 up, having opportunities to finish the job when you've got packed audiences. You know, from my understanding, there was a big sponsor potentially on the cards meeting Rugby Australia in Italy at, uh, over the last weekend. But it's hard to hard to, to sign off on these sorts of deals, isn't it, when you go down against Italy? How much um, how much urgency of the situation is there if you look at the, the World Cup next year where as tough as things have been on the pitch for Australia in the last year, this season, there's a massive opportunity for them at the World Cup next year because if you look at the pool they're in, like without being disrespectful, Wales, Fiji, Australia at the moment, that's not a particularly strong pool on paper anyway at the moment. And if you just even look at the side of the draw they're on, if you can get your things right over the next 12 months for someone on that side of the draw and even for the England, Argentina side of the side as well, like there's a massive opportunity to get to a World Cup semi-final or beyond next year. Yeah, we we know, or perhaps the Irish don't know what happens at a semi final, but <laughs> but but you're right, and and that's the um, you know, this Australian side has shown that they're very much capable of producing one good performance, and we've seen that right throughout this year. And and they, yes, you're right, they stumbled, they lost by a point against the French, and they had a very controversial last minute try to New Zealand down in Melbourne. So. 
they can deliver performances. And you're right, you know, you would not be on a not like to be on a side of the draw, which you know that two of Ireland, South Africa, France and New Zealand aren't going to make it through to the semifinals. It seems preposterous when you look at the current world rugby rankings. But, but yeah, you're right. Australia can make it through to the semifinals and it wouldn't surprise me. I don't think they've got three good games in a row at the moment, but they could certainly get to two. And that's the thing that is exciting, but also, um, uh, you know, Dave Rennie in the Wallabies, I, I do think that they can be one of the great shocks at next year's World Cup. And, and same with, you know, England wouldn't be a shock, I don't think. But I think they're pretty well set up, aren't they, to be on that side of the, the draw. If they beat Argentina, you know, I think we saw what they can do against the Japanese side over the weekend. And the flip side, obviously, then as well, is that if things don't go out at the World Cup next year, everything in theory had fallen in Australia's favour with the pool. And that's even more damaging. Yeah, and there's a little bit of a thought about you know what the French did um, in 2019 when Fabien Galthi came in and, and, and there seemed like there was a bit of a generational change and he was looking not so much at the 2019 World Cup knowing that he's got some great young uh, players there, but we're targeting the home World Cup in 23 and there's a similar sort of thought around the 27 World Cup. Sorry, I just had a... Um, just had a phone cut cut me out there that okay. there's a similar thought process there with the australians i know that hamish mcclennan is certainly targeting the 2027 world cup and you know making a, a drastic step perhaps next year may be the best thing for a home world cup and to because rugby are, is kind of on the nose in australia at the moment it's you know it's in a really kind of odd situation where there's so many competing forces down there and it's not just a, a super rugby competition and the neighbors across the ditch in New Zealand like there's there's it's really hot competition down there with with the rugby league and the AFL particularly yeah let's get let's get into that side of things because I think it's something we've kind of been speaking about for years now is just the the extent of the competition for for hearts and minds that rugby union has down in Australia and how probably rugby league and AFL have long past it like where where is it standing in that that ladder of popularity and how how much is that affecting the draw of obviously finances the the draw of you know the player pool and and the, and the knock on effect of everything else and even just the the reputation of it yeah the player pool one's a really interesting one and the talent identification because there's been numerous players that continually get lost to rugby league but but that's always gone on really and it's gone on for years and years and years you know the former greats of Russell Fairfax and Wally Lewis, guys that were playing either for the Wallabies or the junior Wallabies. Ricky Stewart, a great player who's gone on to be a, a great coach as well. Um, another guy that came through the Australian schoolboy system. So um, that's always going to be an issue. Where does it rank? It, it ranks down at four or five. And if you speak to most people, really, like uh, it, it can dip even to six and seven when you throw in cricket and other, other sports like now the Formula One, which is which is huge down in Australia, and and boxing, which has had a uh, a rise as well, and a bit of a turnaround over the last couple of years with a couple of young talented boxers. But it, you know, the Wallabies when they win, they'll always be able to attract a crowd, and we've seen that time again and time again. Um, but there are a lot of people that have been incredibly frustrated with just how inconsistent they are, and and then when you get to the comp, um the complexity of the rules and the laws of rugby. Uh, it's something that when you look at rugby league and it's so simple and it's so one dimensional, 
Um, for me, it doesn't necessarily appeal, but for a lot of people, it does because they see what goes on with, with yellow red cards, with controversial kind of deliberate knockdowns and the ruck, which is a mess for most people to understand, and then you throw in the scrum. So those sorts of things, you know, it all seems rather rosy, and I love the intricacies of the game up here, but there's a lot of other people down in Australia that, that perhaps don't. 2027 then having the the rugby world cup is that is that one one big desperate push to 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 win back a few people oh it is it is indeed but it will be well supported because it's it's gonna it's not gonna just come out of random it's not it's not like the 2020 world cup which of course the irish had a pretty successful campaign down in australia just recently but that was terribly supported because you know there's a world cup there every one or two years not necessarily in Australia, but across the world. And But for the Rugby World Cup, it's obviously going to have been 24 years. That'll be very well supported. And uh, who, who manages to secure the World Cup final, we'll see over the next probably six months. But um, yeah, that's going to be a competition between Sydney, Melbourne and, and Perth. But it'll be, it'll be a brilliant spectacle down there, I have no doubt. Did 2003 have the desires, desired impact? Because... I suppose on the face of it, you know, there were reigning world champions coming into it, a home world cup, and even if they didn't won, they got to a final. Um, but did it did it have the lasting effect it probably would would have been hoped for? Well, it's uh, it, John O'Neill, who's the, the CEO at the time, has been, you know, coming to huge criticism for what happened afterwards, really, that there was a, a massive treasure chest, a war chest of about forty million dollars that Back then, is obviously a reasonable amount of money, and what happened was, you know, they they sat and you know you could have an entire week of conversations regarding this one, but you know, they, they, there was a rapid expansion from Super Rugby from three to four to five franchises, um, a competition that perhaps started to lose the interest of those that were supporting it, and that was a big one. But where was the money spent? There was the implementation years later of a third tier kind of competition which for many people still is a really important thing to kind of be able to get back off the ground but was the money properly spent well resourced high big contracts for certain you know dual internationals like Lottie Dekiri and others um there's a multitude of reasons for it but it certainly wasn't the best resources for it and 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 they're, they're paying the price now and they have been for many many years to get back to the the on the on pitch matters, Birch, to put you into the into the mind of Dave Rennie back into the into the coach's box. If you're essentially fighting for your job a little bit, and a quarter of an hour into that game against Italy, you see Jake Gordon just fly in and take out Tommaso Allen off the ball down the touchline, one of the most needless shoulder charges you're probably ever going to see. And to be honest, didn't even really leave too much on him. It wasn't the most forceful, but it was just completely stupid and Australia scored or not Australia sorry Italy scored two tries across those next 10 minutes how absolutely furious are you as a coach when you see something like that uh, look at it it's um, it's good wrenching and, and when teams get that let that ill discipline seep in um, it's very very difficult to eradicate it or stop it and we see Vern Cotter you know, with Fiji at the moment going through a, a, a similar um, a similar issue and getting it right um, and getting players to understand the consequences of the of their actions and staying in system um, and staying legal is 
uh, is crucial in, in in the modern game. And and I I like I'm sure Dave Rennie has been harping on about discipline, um, but for whatever reason at the moment his team are ill disciplined, um, and that's got to change. I mean Ireland are normally a very disciplined uh, team, um, particularly for foul play. So. Um, it's something that they're going to have to get right this week. And and it's going to be difficult because the atmosphere is going to be hot and heavy. There's pressure on Australia. And sometimes when there's pressure on you, um, you, you can go out of out of norm and and make make that try and make that big play that costs your team. So I'd be fascinated to see what they've been doing this week. Um uh and I'm surprised to be honest, because against Italy they weren't really being stretched. Like they they are against some of the better teams, um. But yes, uh, it, it was poor. So, and, and pressure can do some, you know, pressure can affect individuals in different ways. But at the moment, the moment that's something that's holding back. I I agree with, um, with Christy. I think their attacking game is is beautiful to watch. It's very intricate. It's it's um it's highly dangerous from an Irish defensive point of view. Um, both teams. Some, some of the back. some some of those scores against France were yeah. Absolutely, they're, they're magic. off the charts. Like, yeah, no, no, they've got loads of individual brilliance. They've got the the structure and the philosophy, um, and I suppose the the license from the coaches to try things, which makes them hard, you know, hard to predict. It makes them hard to shut down. Um, but if they don't get that discipline inside of the right this weekend, you know, they just they won't have a chance. I don't think. Yeah, and it's going to be, it's going to be incredibly intense. Um, you know, late kickoff, Ireland going for obviously, you know, I think it's the first time we'd have beaten. New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, um, to finish off the series. Um, the atmosphere is going to be brilliant, and and the players need to stay stay calm and, and stay in the uh, in the zone. And Christy, how much, how much of an improvement, or how close to their best can Australia be? If not even if they just completely eliminate the the discipline issues, but just trim it down to a more respectable total, like trim it down to to maybe 10 or just under 10 penalties a game like how how close to their best can they can they be in that case well we've seen and trying to predict the world is is, is not impossible but we've seen as, as we've said a couple of times that um that they do have a, a good performance in them oh, look i think that they're paying down australia six six dollars fifty to, to win this game the the wallabies against ireland which i think is just extraordinary though you wouldn't have ever seen those numbers beforehand but look a side that has nick white at nine and burn foley at, at, at 10 uh, um you know will skelton probably will feature somewhere uh michael hooper at seven rob valentini's class and he's going to be at eight you know like there's a there's enough class strength firepower there'll be a pretty good forward pack whether or not um but, but for me I keep coming back to when you talk about discipline. When when players don't necessarily know their rules, uh, their their roles, they often look for individual kind of moments, don't they? And and it might be the over eagerness of the offside, or you know trying extra hard at the breakdown, or it might be you know that that clumsy, that ridiculous shoulder charge, or you know taking a man off the ball like Tom Robertson did as well. So there's many many. There's many, many um, uh, factors about this Australian side which are moving all the time because of the constant changes. So we'll see. But this is a team that that, that well, we saw two weeks ago managed to nearly shock France and, and play with some fluency in attack. So fingers crossed 
from a, a game perspective that we see another good one because we have no doubt that the Irish are going to come and deliver and their multi-phase attack and playing the, the you know the blind side consistently off nine as well. This is a, a class side which is probably at the peak of the powers. But you know the, the big question is going to be is, is Ireland once again peaking a year out from the World Cup? Oh, we've been asking that question for a long time here, Christy. Don't worry. Um, Birch, Christy did mention one player there, and I nearly got the shivers coming up my spine when I heard his name, Will Skelton. He, there's there's something about Will Skelton and Irish teams that, well, they don't go together from an Irish point of view. They certainly go together from Will Skelton's side. Yeah, look, Christy, the background is he he broke our heart, lent <laughs> our hearts with Saracens and left. Rochelle, uh, in particular, a few times. Uh, look, at I, I think it's a, it, it'd be really interesting to see if we can have that effect at international level. We're kind of we're clapping ourselves on the back a little bit at the moment because we dealt with the South African power, Christy. So, um, you know, maybe we're not as fearful as as, as we were of of the Will Skelton ties. But look, he's a he's a he's a very effective rugby player, and whether it's starting or off the bench, uh, I'm looking forward to, to to seeing him play. Um, yeah, I think this is this is a brilliant. Obviously, you've got a test match next week against Wales, but. Um, it's a it's a pretty tough schedule, you know. Scotland, France, Italy, um, Ireland, Wales, and, and as a, as a group, I know they're staying up the road in the Radisson. I think, you know, this 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 could be a an unbelievable month for for the Wallabies if they can get more positive. If they can finish positive um over the next two weeks, and, and in terms of, you know, building, and then obviously then he starts to refine things going to the last the last blast for the World Cup, but. Um, and having someone like Wise Mantle in there who's been to numerous World Coasts first through Japan or England, um, I think can be really beneficial. And you know, he's very close to Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones seems to have the model for, for World Cup. So I think there's there's a lot of IP in that group. And um yeah, I, I'm fascinated to see how they react this week. Um I'm open they don't obviously get a win, but I, I do think it's gonna be the most for me, it's the most exciting game. Of the series for us because we haven't we weren't able to play against South Africa because of their strengths. Um, Fiji, you know, lacked a little bit of cohesion and there was a lot of ill discipline, very stop start. But I genuinely feel that both Ireland and Australia have a very good philosophy in terms of how they want to play with tempo, with width, moving the ball. So it could be it could be one of the better games. There's been some really good games in November, but it, it could certainly be the best game that um that we've had. I, I, and I completely agree. And, and then you look at what momentum can do. And, it, you know, it was a powerful thing for the Springboks back in 2018. And they, they had a real marker against the All Blacks in Wellington where they shocked a lot, a lot of people. And it really set them up for the, the next year. It was a, a springboard, springboard for them. And, you know, if you look at the, the other way back in 2014, you know, one of the last times that um, Michael Checker well, Michael Checker comes over and, and replaces Ewan McKenzie, and I think they only won one from four matches on that tour, and it was a pretty dicey start. But that was also another thing where you know structures get put in place, great opportunity to put your fingerprints on a on a side, and they they might not have had the desired performances and results, but you know that 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 moment there was a lot of the guys that they knew. What was going to happen underneath the Michael Checker coach Wallaby's side? I, I think this is a hugely important one now, though, for for Dave Rennie. And you're right, Scott Wisemantle is a a smart, cunning character with, um, and you know, one of the more colourful characters of the game. A bit like Mark Hansen kind of says what he what says what he wants at particular times. Um, there's enough coaching 
IP within this with this side and you know Laurie Fisher of course spent years at, at Munster as well and a guy that I think will be one of the better coaching moves for Australian rugby because he he demands detail demands work ethic and you could hear him in his training yesterday barking orders and, and expressing what he thought wasn't good enough on the training field yeah and you mentioned Mac Hansen there let's let's talk about him because obviously there's a there's a really enjoyable narrative just going around him all this week obviously his first time playing against Australia and as you were talking about just there the difference in a short period of time like when Michael Chekic came in you can certainly say the same about Mac Hansen because I don't think too many people on this part of the world knew his name 18 months ago and all of a sudden he's a he's an established international cult hero at Connacht you might take us back to before he he joined Connacht and came over to Ireland when like when that was announced was there much was there much frustration that he was being, you know, was, was he seen at the time as potentially one that was being slipping through the cracks or, you know, would anyone really have thought he had this career ahead of him? <clears throat> Excuse me. I wouldn't have thought so. I, I, I had been very impressed with him because I saw what he could do and how he moved. The fact that he was a bit of a utility playmaker almost out in the wing and he was stuck behind Tom Banks, really, at the Brumbies and limited opportunities there. There was Tom Wright, there was Andy Muirhead. And and he was, you know, the Brumbies have been the most successful and consistent side in Australian rugby for a long, long time. So he'd had, a, you know, some really good cameos for the Junior Wallabies and that was not even long ago. And and I was surprised, disappointed. I'd messaged Dan McKellar going, what the heck's happened here? Like, this is a guy that could play 15, 10 wing it seemed like a no-brainer that you keep on to him, but I don't think the rest of the Super Rugby franchises in Australia really looked at him twice. Um, and you know, it probably really only registered on a, in Australian shores that he had gone when he scored an out of the world kind of try against uh, well for Connacht, and you know took a high ball and managed to weave his way through. There might have been a chip and chase in there as well at the same time, but when he had that man of the match, player of the match performance to kickstart the Six Nations. And then he plucks a ball through the air um, in, in Paris to score against the French. There was a lot of finger pointing and questioning and how how Australian rugby let go of another gem. And oh, I think it's, you know, Dan McKellar kind of expressed it the other day when he addressed the media, said, you know, it is a bit of a case of if, if, if what if. Just, just um, I remember this time last year there was talk about Australia having a look at him before Ireland brought him in for November. Any, there's been a bit of talk about John Porch, so another winger who's come to Ireland and and you know been exceptional for for Connacht and hasn't been picked up by uh, by Ireland, which he I think he qualifies for or will qualify for soon. Was there ever any chance um, that Australia would look to to bring him in, or are you are you pretty happy that you've got the um, the depth that in the backfield um, that you can do without him? Well, actually, I asked Andy Friend that question the other night because he's a guy that um, was pretty good in rugby sevens and had been, you know, he probably played for the rugby seven side for a good three years before going over to Connacht. Um, I, I know that there's been some discussions with different Australian super rugby franchises about John Porch and, and where that's progressed, I'm not 100% sure, but, He's been spoken about for quite a few months now and oh, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Australia does pick him up. And 
he, he's he's got the good fundamentals and and you know anyone that comes through rugby sevens you get exposed if you're not good on the ball you know if your core skills aren't great and so he I, I think he'd be an astute signing whether or not he's a wallaby I'm not sure but you know depth can't be a bad thing can it on that just very quickly on that on just on the the topic of sevens because that seems to be an area where Australia have have really actually improved, kicked on in the last few years as well. Is it, have, have they like a long-term strategy where, you know, could you potentially see sevens essentially becoming more popular than rugby union? To to go back on what you were saying, there's huge frustrations around union of, you know, stoppages in the game, the like TMO referrals, slow play, things like that. Like sevens is automatically a, a pretty quick antidote to all of that, isn't it? Oh, Neil, it sounds great, uh, but I can stop you dead in your tracks. I don't, I don't think so, no. Oh, for for the for the women, um, they've clearly they've, they won the gold in, in twenty sixteen, and and I think that also that contributed to a lot of women um, starting to play the game, and you could see that from a grassroots level. But I don't think necessarily for the men's um, how they've got there is is quite remarkable. You know, it was only you know, sixteen months ago or so that you know off the back of a pretty dire Olympic campaign where both sides got knocked out in the quarterfinals that the men's program got ripped in half and you know, money got pulled out of it and, and John Menenti's coach just kind of described his playing group as Menenti's misfits and it's kind of pretty apt but you know I, I think there's some good lessons in there for not just for the sevens program but for the Wallabies and for the 15 side that working hard seeing what it you know, losing some of your mates who have been denied contracts and not have contracts renewed, those sorts of principles about having to work hard and 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 not um, and demanding excellence. I think players had taken things for granted for quite a while in that sevens program. So, whether or not we see that in the fifteens, I'd like to. Whether or not we see the sevens become a real strength in Australian rugby, I think it will always be there because there's enough athletes in the game. But I, I, I can't see it ever surpassing the 15s and the gravitas that, that holds. Sounds very similar to here. Birch, um, on Ireland this weekend and last weekend, I suppose, against Fiji, wasn't obviously a particularly good performance against Fiji. Very, very sloppy. Is it? Is it no harm that that performance has kind of cropped up and the way Andy Farrell has reacted to it, he's clearly not happy with it, with the quotes he said after the game and judging off what the players were saying yesterday as well, it seems they were, they, they, they were told about it on Monday morning in the review. Yeah, look, I don't think it's any harm. It's it's good to win with playing poorly. Um, it's good to have that little bit of a shock to the system, bringing back down to earth, gearing up to what obviously is a hard, harder test. By by, I think it was pretty easy to get yourself up for South Africa. It's been in in the eye line for a long time. Um, a two week build in the World Champions, etc. There was probably naturally going to be a little bit of an emotional um dip, early kick off, some changes. But this is now you know this uh, Sexton's back as well and. Sexton is is basically the, the you know a thermometer gauge of 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 the intensity levels of the accuracy levels that he it's no disrespect to the people who replace him but he just is at a different level in terms of making everybody on point um and helping people get into the game and and execute so the fact that he's back and looks like he's okay I know Ross Byrne was brought in but it seems Johnny's okay um that for me brings Ireland's level up you know ten percent anyway uh plus. The the opposition in the eye line, um, being Australia, um, the the quality of rugby they can play will will make will I think make the players 
more accurate in itself just because they know they can't be sloppy. Um, and then obviously that little bit of a of a of a backlash from Faz, um, I, uh, and a few starters come back in. I think you know if Ireland lose this weekend, Australia, it'll be down to Australia being better than us. Um, I I think from a preparation point of view, everything will be spot on. Yeah, gentlemen, can I, can I just jump in? It sounds oh, great. Like, it sounds great. You're debating a, a game where you've won by nearly 20 points. Uh, it all sounds pretty rosy from a perspective from Australia, who clearly didn't deliver a performance and got beaten. I think you're bang on the money there, Bernard. But like delivering a, a performance, winning when you're not playing, is the hallmark of a side. And you look at all the All Blacks teams that won for years and years. They they often won when they delivered a a good 15, 20-minute period, and that was about it. The fact that you managed to blood another 10, not have Johnny Sexton in there is probably the best thing for the game. So I think it was only an encouraging performance. Yeah, and Bircher, like, of that game against Fiji, <clears throat> without dwelling on it, like, any any few players that did put up their hands and and kind of stamp down their, stamp down their feet and show Andy Farrell what they were made of? Um, look, I don't think there was any real bad performances. I, I thought, um, I thought McCluskey again, um, you know, looked really good. I'd be really interested to see if he starts this weekend. I know yeah. Bundy's back, but I personally what would, would. What would you? What would you go for personally? Yeah, I'd stick with Stewart. I think we know Bundy can do at international level. Um, he's not going to be Matt Sharp. Obviously, haven't been out for uh, suspended, um, since that Stormers game. And I would stick with McCluskey. I would show real confidence in him. He, you know, he obviously had to go off injured in the first game against South Africa. Um, he's been in great form for Ulster, so I would, I would stick with him. Um, I thought Crowley looked really good last thirty. Um, obviously coming off for Joey Carby and with Joey, obviously you haven't failed his HIA. This is another chance for him to to get some valuable game time. I mean, if he's going to be the third choice ten at the World Cup, you would like him to have been involved in five or six. You know, match day twenty threes at least, and, and obviously that's going to be difficult. Um, now so this is this could be an opportunity for him to get some game time. Um, and yeah, look, I think we know what our best team is now. You know, uh, we know what our best team. So Treadwell did great, but I think he's an impact sub. I think he's better suited to that coming off. Uh, Timoney did really well, but is he going to is he going to force out Josh Van Fleer? No, mm-hmm. um, not at the moment. But the way Josh is playing, um, so yeah, I I don't think I think from a Farrell's point of view, he would have been happy that Joey looked good for 50. Obviously, disappointed he got injured and that Crowley looked really comfortable because that's the key for us is to get, to get clarity around two and three at 10. Above everything else, that's the that's the big worry for Ireland. Obviously, if that happened to Sexton, we need to know that the, the drop-off isn't too too big. What's the what's the opinion of Ireland down in Australia? Is this, is it a Johnny Sexton plus 14 others? It, you know, is there... Are are they looking around? Like who who are the players that that the Australian fans would look at on the Irish team and go, "Whoa, he's he's something else." Or you know, is there is, is there opportunities, there holes in the team? They think. Oh, look, I've been saying for years, and I think you know, it's no rocket scientist to work this round out. I think there's been so much reliance on Johnny Sexton. If he's out, stocks will plummet for Ireland, won't they? Um, yeah. For for a World Cup, so. I was surprised that there wasn't, you know, coaches because of the importance of having to win and turn up every week. They very rarely look beyond their own hedges, their own backyard. I was staggered that there wasn't more of a search to find who's the next 10 
you oh, know we've Johnny's. Been, oh, we've been searching, Christy. Don't worry. We've we have been searching. We just have not found. <laughs> yeah, but it's a very similar sort of case with I think someone like a Noah Lolaseo who, you know, you, you might give one opportunity in a blue moon to players they rely on confidence. And we know that how the plan, the game plan that Ireland deliver is a complicated one. It's it's a huge amount of IP that needs to go into that. So it's never going to be perfect after one or two or three matches. I think that's the one thing that Eddie Jones should be really applauded for is he often makes a decision and fair play to him. It's a big decision. And sometimes he rips it out and starts again, but he makes a big call. I'm, I think everyone looks at this Irish side and says it's, it's very good, but, but um, you know, there's huge questions there. Knowing that next year, knowing that the, the head concussion kind of protocols, it could spell absolute calamity and drama for Ireland if, if anything was like that to, to take effect. But, you know, there's class in the side. And, you know, you've just mentioned Josh Van der Flair. He was just brilliant against the All Blacks down back in July. We know that, you know, the Peter Omanis, the guys that would just die for you and, and, and continually work away in the trenches, uh, it's, it's a good side. And there's not too many holes throughout. I think they're full, you full back. Um, Hugo Keenan is is class, and when you've got an axis of a nine, ten, fifteen that you know, you know, there's depth there with Robbie Henshaw, who is obviously going to be missing this week with injury, but great depth there, and and the the talent ID that you guys have done, and what David Nusifora has done has has been outstanding. Um, but the big big question I still have is is that ten, if anything happens to Johnny. You're about yeah, to I, I think I just on that just on that, uh, Christy, we we have. We have obviously known this, and it's amazing that we're going into another World Cup very dependent on him. But I agree with you; it's it's that pressure that's on international coaches to win now. Um, and 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 again, I I, I totally, I was thinking about Eddie when you were saying it before you you mentioned him. Like he's probably, and look, he he after losing to Argentina, he was coming under a lot of pressure, but he's so self assured that he's going to be there for the World Cup. He's probably on so much money; it's going to be hard to pay him out. Um, he obviously it's he's able to make those decisions and 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 look at he's been criticised the weekend Argentina match has been criticised for trying too many players and not giving him enough games but uh, before he cuts them loose again but I think his argument would be he's seen enough um, and he's not going to persevere you know with those guys and um, but there's no coaches sorry there's so few coaches in the game at the moment who have the legacy at World Cups he has that he probably can convince a committee. He's he knows more than they do or the media, you know. So it's um it's a tough one. We're running out of time here, guys. So I think you're both going to be relieved. We're not going to have too. Much, we're not going to have time at all, actually, to to talk about Razzie Erasmus. We'll uh we'll wait for next week because I'm sure he'll have a uh, another handful of videos to. World rugby's rugby pass. They'll tell us what what exactly. Yeah, yeah. We can tune in this weekend. God help us all if they lose against Italy. That's all I'll say. Um. Quick fire questions for you guys, because the World Rugby nominees came out at the start of the week. The the winners, I think, will be announced this weekend in Monaco. Just very quickly, uh, Birch, Coach of the Year, Andy Farrell, Fabian Galtier, Simon Middleton, Wayne Smith. Who who get your vote? I actually go for for Wayne Smith. I think what he's, uh, you know, the fact that New Zealand were so far away, you know, uh, a year ago, a bit of a mess, and he's just he he's done something incredible. So uh, for me, Wayne Smith. Yeah, I think it'd be hard to look past that. Christy? Yeah, I think just from a PR perspective as well, it looks pretty good, doesn't it? Um, I think, fair enough, what what he's done, I reckon there would have been a lot of people jumping on 
the the black ferns there um leading into the world cup knowing that wayne smith was there i, I would go fabian galton you go fabian galton yeah. okay breakthrough player of the year mac hansen dan sheehan henry arundel Ange capuzzo christy uh, Ange Capuzzo for me, I think just uh, the fact that, that that try against the Welsh and we saw what he did on the weekend, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Mac Hansen is there. What a what an unbelievable breakout year. Now, Bernard? Yeah. Um, I don't want Ange Capuzzo to get it because he was in Grenoble when I was there and uh, we thought he was too small to make it. So uh, <laughs> and I, would just, I would just rub it in a bit more. I just want him to go away quietly. No, uh, no, I, I think he's he's amazing. And I love watching him he's play for Toulouse now. Um, and he could be the one who who changes Italy's uh, fortunes, you know. He could give him that spark. So, uh, uh, for me, yeah, look, at we're going for, if we're going for Wayne Smith and, and, and Andrew, maybe not the highest profile wins, but I do think he's, he, he's been phenomenal. And then the big one, player of the year, Josh Fenderfleer, Johnny Six and Antoine Dupont, Lucan Yuam. Who wants to go first? Just the overview of visitors. Uh, this sounds a toss of the coin, isn't it? Um, uh, the, the awards are, are named next week, aren't they? So, look, I, I feel like almost this weekend should have a little bit of of a say. You know, if, if Josh van der Flair manages to help Ireland to a victory, then perhaps he. Um, we know that Anton Dupont had a bit of trouble last week, but I think his year and what France have done becoming Six Nations champions is unbelievable. Um Maybe he's such a self-assured player, so self-confident that maybe it won't affect him. But you'd wonder what these sorts of awards can do to players at times. But I think the sky's the limit for France at the moment. Um, I'd go Dupont just. And Birch? Yeah, I'll go. Um, I'll go Van der Fleer because I think Dupont. Uh, I, I I've known about him since he was he was sixteen. He's always been incredible. Uh, I think Van der Fleer has transformed his game. So I admire that. Um, you know, he's always been a good player, but he's now, he's now probably an all-rounder. So I think if he has a big game this weekend, he'd be in pole position. Personally, I think Van der Fleer has to have a nightmare this weekend to not win that award. As I, said, I don't know, is it just me? I, I nearly would have had Greg Aldred over Antoine Dupont if you're yeah. a French nominee. But look at, um, I can't see Van der Fleer not winning this award. Um, so, Birch, Christy Doran, thanks a million for joining us on this week's podcast. Enjoy your, your few days left in Dublin. I'm sure I'll I'll see you at the Aviva at the weekend, Christy, and uh, Bernard as well. Thanks a million, as always. We'll Great. be back for more on the RT Rugby podcast next week. Thank you.